cliffcentral.com. You better believe there's been an impact on my driving experience um, in terms of load shedding. It means that the, the traffic lights are out. And then you jump up and down and you try to figure out your way past a traffic light where everybody's crawling because of load shedding. Yes, it's impacting every single part of our lives. But we're not going to start talking about that. I'm sitting here in the dark, but luckily I've got a, a, a little power supply to keep the studio going. Canton warned us about this years ago. He already said, you've got to get off the grid. You've got to sort yourself out. I'm going to let him have his I told you so moment in uh, just a short while because we haven't caught up with Canton for a while. Of course, the burning platform every single week on a Thursday at 7 o'clock. Here is Pumi Mashicho. It's always good to have Pumi on. And here is the return champion, Canton Pele. Hello, Canton. Without his hair. Look at that. What's happened? Morning, guys. What's happened? You went for the – you you got rid of all that silver, lustrous uh, crown that you used to have. Ponytail. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, it, it, it was for a good cause. I've, I've donated it to cancer. Oh. They're going to turn it into a wig for, um, you know, when people go through chemotherapy, they end up losing their hair. And, yes. you know, with uh, just, you know, the trauma of fighting up cancer, it ends up being quite stressful for them, you know, to go about walking like this. You know, I, of course, have no scum whatsoever. But um, it, it's, it'll be useful to you know, some person, I hope. And uh, it, look, it was just something that I did because I've uh, had lots of people within my immediate circle who mm. had cancer of late, and you know, a couple of deaths, and some people battling it right now. Absolutely. So yeah, it just seemed like a good thing to do. Well, it's a good reason and to I'm do sure it. I'll be back pretty soon. Yeah. Well, you, you uh-huh. it, for what it's worth, you look good, so I, I, it's not a problem. Um, guys, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shaved let, years off your face. I'm going to let Canton just give us a, a, a brief um, return um, comment because it's been a while since you were last here and we haven't spoken about some of the events of the past few months. Anything noteworthy that you want to throw in before we introduce our other guest for the morning? No, the only noteworthy thing is that hashtag pedopeter, P-E-D-O-P-E-T-E-R, um, has actually been trending on Twitter, but it's been suppressed by Twitter. And I I think everyone should go and check it out because it's quite fascinating. So well, who is Pedo Peter? Is that Joe Biden? Well, uh, apparently, this is, yeah, apparently this is what Hunter Biden had saved his father's phone number under on his uh, contact wow. list. Hmm. That's great. Uh, of course, Hunter, yes. Hunter Biden's such a, a terrific and upstanding human being himself, right? We'll talk about him maybe a oh, little yes. bit later. Well, uh, absolutely, yes. Well, yeah, but, you know, along those lines, uh, you know, Joe Biden recently released a massive amount of fuel from the U.S. strategic reserves, presumably yes. to drive down the oil price. Yes. And, and it went, and these reserves were sold to a Chinese company, which uh, Hunter <laughs> Biden is affiliated with. I so saw that, were, yeah. Oh my God! Fascinating stuff. You know, if if this were if Pumi, this... if I Pumi, no, Pumi, I've got to say, if I knew you were in studio this morning, I would have come into studio. Yeah, it would have. There's no coffee here, Canton. I'm just telling. No, you. I would have brought coffee. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Pumi and Canton, um, this has this has been a nice reunion, and we've got much to catch up on. But I do want to introduce our guest for the morning because he's the man of the moment and has been for about a week and a half, two weeks now, and I hope we'll continue. To um, be part of the conversation, you know how short our attention spans tend to be in South African news. His name is Ian Cameron. 
He is the director of community safety at a recently established non-profit organization called Action Society, which helps victims of violent crime who do not have the financial means to get legal counsel. Now, that doesn't sound like the sort of person who gets into arguments with a police minister, but that's precisely what Ian did the other day. Uh, Pumi rightly pointed out when we played the clip the other day that he was very respectful. He was quite um, adamant and forthright, but he was uh, he was asking very reasonable questions and was treated very badly by the police minister. Anyway, needless to say, those clips went uh, viral. Everybody's been talking about Ian. Uh, he's got a, a lot of uh, blowback from from government officials and from the police. He was actually escorted out of the meeting, despite the meeting being an open forum for any member of the public to attend. And he got shouted down by a very angry and very rattled minister of police with his stupid hat on. So we'll talk a little bit about the organization that Ian works for, and we'll talk a little bit about his own life and his background. But let's welcome him to the show, first and foremost. Ian Cameron, nice to see you. How are you? Good morning. Thank you, Gareth. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's awesome to be with you. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Better, yeah. better than last week, Tuesday. Uh, yeah. So how does it feel to be um, both a national hero and reviled by some and get this uh, kind of attention in the space of a week for just doing what you would normally do when there were no cameras running? Yeah. Yeah, Gareth, it's, it's been very overwhelming, I must say. We didn't realize, look, you, you obviously saw all, everything on social media and so on, but my wife and I didn't realize that things went as viral as it did. And on Sunday... We, uh, we went to the spur with our daughter, and the next moment, people started coming to the table. <laughs> and then eventually, we were standing in front of spur with all the waitresses taking photos. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and <laughs> what was also quite, quite amazing was uh, it's happened about three or four times now where I was in Cape Town and, and in the Cape Flats where police vehicles would stop next to me and say thank you. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, and and so oh, so it's been it's it's been overwhelming, but it's been a very positive uh, uh, week and a half. Uh, it feels like it's been one day uh, with with no end. But but yeah, it's 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 going well, and I think it's it's gained a lot of momentum. And I see a lot of people starting to openly question and and uh, and try and keep in my opinion, these thugs accountable for, for well, what they do. Well, I mean, in the in the wake of what happened there, a lot of people were also calling for the resignation of Becky Trele. Besides Becky Trele, is there anybody else who's given you negative feedback from the uh, the videos that have now gone viral? Not not really. Um, I mean, it, uh, obviously you've got your, your uh, <clears throat> little bit of, of, of Twitter uh, critics, you know, uh, there's a there's a guy in, in, uh, in, in South Africa, called Simba, someone I don't know from apparently from Zanu PF, and and he <laughs> sent me a compliment, and I said thank you, my friend. You know we need to keep pushing. And the next moment, you know, you've got people saying, "Why are you siding with Zanu PF now?" So <laughs> it's it's a typical cancel culture Sorry, nonsense yeah. that if you just you know if you just if you just polite with someone, then immediately certain people would see you siding with with someone. And uh, but nevertheless, otherwise it's it's been amazing. I think. What's also been exposed so outright by this whole um, experience was that the majority of people in the country really don't don't give a damn about what color or culture you are. They 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 just want to survive. They literally want to put food on the table and they want mm. to be safe while doing it. And and I think that that's been um, a quite 
quite impressive the way, especially from very, very poor township communities, you know, the messages coming from there of, of, of support saying, you know, we, we, we couldn't care less who or what you are. Right. Thank you for, for speaking out. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a, 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 an overwhelming experience. For me, I know you, you watched all of this before I'd even seen any of it. You tipped me off to this. Um, I mean, your, your reaction was that this, this man, Ian, had tried so hard to be polite and to bring these important issues to light and uh, was treated very badly. But is there, is there any like, um, stuff you want to add since you've seen the reactions? So, Ian, you have to tell us where you're from because my f- overwhelming feeling when I watched you was, oh, man. He's so well raised. His mum must be so proud. I think I was well raised, apart from that I came from Kempton Park. Oh. I was raised eyebrows sure. now, now and then. Um, but I like Kempton Park, so uh, we, we always make jokes about the East Rand. And, uh, uh, but, but nevertheless, no, I, I, I come from a very normal Afrikaans family, uh, Grew up in in, in Kempton Park. Uh, we actually moved to England for six years, and we uh, for my father's work when I was still in school. And and he wanted to, you know, we, we the family decided we want to come back, um, and uh, and just be part of South Africa. So I uh, came back and uh, and yeah, mostly spent the rest of time in in Pretoria. Um, and then recently I moved down to the Western Cape and I'm living in, in Paul now in, uh, um, yeah, not, not far from Cape Town, obviously. Um, so tell us about your work and your organization. Mm. Yeah. So, so it, it's, so how it, how it started is I, I actually used to be with Afri Forum. I was, I was with Afri Forum for about 10 years and, um, mainly focused on rural safety. Uh, you know, people, I, I, I wasn't as involved in the in the political discussion. Our job was literally to work in in the rural safety environment, and um, and to to try and, and, and change the reality there. Um, and uh, it made it quite quite challenging sometimes because a lot of people tried to politicise the issue quite a bit. But nevertheless, so when I left there in 2020, um, I just spent some time with my family for about a year, and then. We, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was approached by two ex-colleagues of mine that said, "Look, there's this massive problem with gender-based violence. Um, there's a massive issue with us not having convictions on ground level." So I thought it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to build something where we can try and ensure convictions. And that's when I got involved with, uh, with Action Society, and we actually developed this model that we now oversee investigations, we, uh, we assist with investigation, and if the police don't do the investigation, then we do it ourselves, and the same with the prosecution. Um, and so far, so good. We piloted it in December, uh, so it's quite quite new still. We piloted it in Cape Flats uh, as a space where we want to test it and, and, and build the, you know, the, the perfect or close to perfect blueprint and then take it out to other parts of the country. Uh, obviously, after last week, I think there's a good ch- chance, sorry, that it will probably, um, you know, grow quicker than it was uh, planned to. But, uh, but yeah, so, so what, what we basically do to give an idea, let me give you an example. Um, let's use the example of the case that I explained to the minister while, you know, before the whole rant went on. 
uh, is a lady called Nosipiwe James in, in Kailicho, was murdered in the beginning of May. And what's horrific about her case is how normal severe violence is in, in certain parts of, of those areas. So, like, with that specific case, Nosipiwe was stabbed 100 meters from where six people were shot dead five minutes before. And everyone was talking about the shooting incident, but no one was talking about Nosipiwe. And she passed away in her um, in her sister's arms. And what we then did, obviously, and I don't say this in a derogatory way, but parts of Kailicha, it's literally like a slum. Hey, it's not it's not like just township, but it, it, it's it's a slum. So so we literally, me and and, and two of my colleagues, uh, two ladies, we went and drove and we went and looked for for um, her sister and we, we spent a morning until we found her and they just said they haven't had any feedback whatsoever they haven't heard anything back from the police and so on and then we we started a process to locate the suspect um, he was her partner and uh, we managed to find him in the eastern cape where we then started working with with the police to have him arrested and transported back to Kailicha and he's currently being detained in the western cape and he's already appeared in court twice and it seems, hopefully, that that uh, we're going to get a um, a guilty plea before we have to actually go to trial, which is positive. So that's the type of thing we do, and those are the types of cases that we that we oversee. There are many others I can give examples of, but I think that one's you know a, a story that that people heard parts of before Minister Taylor's explosion last week. Hmm. Sure. Uh, Canton, you obviously saw the the clips, but isn't it sad that we have to have drama like this in order to get attention for people like Ian who are doing good work every day that are are trying to help? And and there are so many good people. Even in the police, we know that that, for every bad policeman, there's a good one. And it's sad to me that this stuff sucks all the air out of the room. You know, you have... A, a situation where people are shouting at each other, or in this case, Becky Taylor shouting, shut up, shut up, at Ian. And that's what gets people's attention. They're not really interested in the story. Uh, is, this a, is this a South African thing? Is it a 2022 thing? Is it a social media thing? Uh, is there any good to be taken from this, in your opinion? I think that this is kind of a, a culmination of stuff that we've been talking about in the recent past, over the past years, actually speaking, Gareth. And Pumi, you've been talking about this as well, at what point are South Africans going to take responsibility for ourselves to actually start doing things that are actually going to fix society? Right. And, uh, you know, this kind of stuff that you're doing, Ian, what Afri Forum is doing in terms of ensuring the securities uh, of our borders, the people who turned out in their masses in July last year to defend their neighborhoods when everything hit the fan, yep. uh, when the rioting took place, all of these are actually very positive signs, Garrett. I don't think we should be sad about it at all. I think we should actually be seizing those moments, pouncing upon them, and making them spread. Pumi, I must say, though, I only got to see the clip with uh, Ian after you mentioned that... Uh, the, that he had been very reasonable and uh, that, that the minister was doing him a disservice and I sat and watched it through from start to finish. And I suspect lots of people actually ended up doing that precisely because of the fact that, um, you know, what the minister was saying. Nobody actually trusts people who cry racism anymore because it's actually become quite worn out. Ian, by the way, where do we give you guys money? 
<laughs> oh, that's a very that's a very relevant question. Um, so, <laughs> but, so, but seriously, look, I mean, you can give us the details towards the end because I think that's an important part of it. But yeah. Gareth, this is stuff that we've touched on in the past as well. That yeah, because I was going to ask. Yeah, what what's really required is that we we actually need to start as individuals dipping into our pockets and actually making contributions towards all of these spaces yes. that are actually making a real difference in our lives. And the thing is that it, it doesn't have to be huge amounts. You know, you give 10 rand a month to one group, 20 rand a month to another group, yeah. and eventually you get a couple hundred thousand people who are doing this, and it all adds up. Mm. But it's, it's significant stuff. Well, and uh, I think this is the start of... Uh, of, of building these movements that are tackling very specific problems. And it can only get better from you. And of course, mm-hmm. coupled with this, we need to find ways to uh, hashtag defund the bastards as has been my- Yeah, well, let's just let's talk- Find ways to not pay tax. Let's talk about that. And, and you know, what I want to kind of focus on at least for the next uh, 10 or so minutes is practical ways that we can make ourselves less dependent on government, practical ways that we can make ourselves more empowered, practical ways that we can take the power back for ourselves. And I think all three of you are well-versed in various ways, shapes, and means of doing that. Let's just be practical for the next few minutes and try to figure out ways, uh, first of all, who we can support, second of all, how we can make things happen, because it's not going to be political parties, as Pumi's said millions of times, as you've said too, Canton. Um, and Ian, it's organizations like yours that make a difference at the community level that are helping people to stand up for themselves. How do you guys feel we should attack the, the practical issues? How, how, what kinds of steps should we take in our own lives in order to, A, stop them from getting hold of as much money of, of, of ours as they do, B, um, making ourselves less dependent on the structures of state around us, uh, C, being able to improve the conditions of people in our immediate environment and our families and our friend groups and our, our communities that we live in, and D, then, also what we can put our energy into, because a lot of people are feeling a bit frustrated at the moment, to say the least. Let's start with you, Pums, because you've always got good ideas, and we can start the ball rolling. Look, I think, Canton, I was also going to ask Ian who, how you, you fund your operations and how people get involved, because how people get involved, so one way, as Canton said, is donate. Like, that's the easiest mm. way, that's the, the easiest non-committal way, just send money, and somebody else will do it. But, but, you can also, you know, the, there's clerical work that needs to be done in these situations. You can also give your time. If you can't give 20 rand, 50 rand, 100 rand, mm-hmm. you can also give an hour, two hours, five hours a week. So, Ian, you tell us what yeah. you guys need and how people get involved. Yeah. Yes, I, I think I, I, I think there are a few very specific things that, that you need to start with as a foundation. Your dog um, needs to get out. <laughs> no, she's being very naughty this morning. This is my re- rescue border collie, and uh, yeah, she's incredibly sensitive and she's glued to me. And now this morning she's very. I think you're making her nervous. Um, so, um, so, so no, ne- nevertheless, so. so so I think let's let's start with something. I want to use an example from uh, from Bikwini, uh, close to Paul, mm-hmm. and it's a discussion that I had with someone the other day after this whole thing happened, and we were talking about the example of the of the boy that was literally taking a poo on the 
on the sidewalk the other day when I got there and yeah. he was smiling at me while he was pooing, wa- waving at me very friendly and it's, it's so normal. And, and the reason I use this as an example is that he doesn't understand and it's not his fault. He doesn't have a toilet or anything. But that being said, the adults in the area, I think we, we need to somehow influence the, the general culture of people to have enough self-respect to at least clean up after themselves because – um, and this is something I want to use as the Mitchell's Plain, uh, uh, from the Mitchell's Plain community. I'm astounded that when I get there in the morning, I'm actually going there after this. I'm astounded at how many people literally, and I'm, 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 with soap and water, wash the sidewalk in front of their houses every morning. Wow. So they stand there washing it with a broom and, and, and even with hot water. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a strange principle to me, but the point is, that it feels like people are taking accountability for their, their self-respect and they're taking accountability for their direct surroundings. And that makes definitely makes an impact. So I think there's, there's certain things that start at home. But what we do, I think the two channels. Now, obviously, we say we need to exhaust all the different remedies that we have in terms of, uh, you say, let's say, for example, taking part in an election, etc. cetera. Um, but I know that me included often feel uh, quite, quite I don't know, hopeless about it. Yeah. Like you vote every time and then it's just back to normal, you know. Can, so, can, so, so can the, I just pra- pause you for yeah. a second there? I'm, I'm so glad you brought yes. that up because that's something so within our control is to like keep our neighborhoods clean and tidy. You know, I'm, I'm really horrified. I was driving along the highway yesterday on my way into the office and there's just – some truck had obviously lost a load of toilet paper or something. There was toilet paper all over the place. I looked on the side of the highway, plastic bags, rubbish, a mess. The grass has grown out of control. You know, and we all go, oh, well, it's the municipality's job. But someone is leaving that stuff lying around. Someone is just throwing that out of their cars. Those people, and, and what you said here, Ian, is so instructive. If you want the government or you want your fellow citizens to respect you, have some self-respect and clean up after yourself. I love the idea that in Mitchell's Plane, despite the fact that that is one of this country's more controversial neighborhoods, let's put it that way, when it comes to you know, crime and gangsterism and all kinds of other things, that the people of that neighborhood, and I'll guarantee you it's the women, um, because that's usually the case in South Africa when there's something being looked after, it's a woman doing the looking after, um, that they clean up the, the, the sidewalk outside their house. I just love that. I think that's something everybody yeah. can do. Clean up. Step Absolutely. one. Step one. Absolutely. And, 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 and Gareth, uh, that's like the, the, the perfect start of, of things. You, you know, it's, it's like the broken window principle. Everyone's yeah, exactly. heard about what they did in New York to curb crime. It's like the basic, basic thing. And, and again, the Mitchell Payne example, um, the ladies that patrol there, the majority of them are over 60, mm-hmm. okay? They're unarmed, yeah. untrained, yeah. Uh, walk slowly. But when you walk with them, if there are gangsters standing around, they not only greet them by name, but they immediately leave. They don't stand around. <laughs> and it's because of a certain respect that's been built up over time uh, for the, the ladies in the community. All right, I like that. So practical stuff from Pumi and Ian so far. Canton, you've always got loads of tips for us. And if we only listen to you, I said at the beginning when I introduced you, if we'd only listened to you months, even years ago, we would all be off the grid like you are. 
Well, but there's a question of affordability here. Sure. This stuff was not was not cheap, as as I've told you. Guys. Still isn't. And uh, yeah, it still isn't. Well, actually, but it's significantly. It's becoming cheaper. much cheaper. Yeah, it's significantly cheaper than mm. when I put it in two years ago. So early adopters always, you know, uh, pay the brunt for it. And right. you know, there's a couple of lessons that I've I've learned from this stuff. But the most crucial thing now, in terms of of how we effectively strip power from the likes of Becky Taylor and, and so forth, mm-hmm. is to find ways of withholding our taxes from them. And it's been very easy for us to do this at the municipal level because, you know, hey, you can just stop uh, 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 paying the stuff and if you get disconnected, you can have your friendly neighborhood person come and connect you back to the grid. And that's uh, something that residents at Soweto have been happily doing for a while now. Right. But... Uh, the biggest problem that we have to deal with as a country is the fact that uh, all of us who are salaried employees, our taxes get deducted automatically mm-hmm. by our employers. But the fact is that there is nothing in law that compels employers to be automatically paying your taxes over to SARS. So really what we need to be doing now is to be finding a group of employers who are willing to say to their employees, we are going to pay all of your money directly to you, and it's up to you to decide how to settle your bills with SARS. Now, what's going to happen is that SARS is then going to come after those uh, particular employers, at which point the rest of us need to rally around those employers, mm-hmm. support them uh, from a legal basis, and uh, actually fight that all the way. And hopefully at this, uh, we end up with a scenario that's not dissimilar to what we have with ETOLs, where if you have sufficient volume of people who start doing this, mm-hmm. then it becomes a cascade and they're not able to manage it just simply because of the fact that uh, it, it, it's too complicated to end up dealing with so many people at once. <laughs> yeah, you you know, Kenton, you you talking about defunding and we're funding because we're talking about funding now. I mean, I've I've been very interested to see over the past couple of months, and as you know, uh, the IEC now uh, tells us who funds which party and how and yes. how much they funded over periods of time. And I I have been fascinated to look at the fact that almost everybody think that the thing that keeps the powers that be that keeps the ANC and the political structure in place is because they pay 350 rands to people and that it's grants and the grants are what keeps them in power because people keep voting them for the grants. But actually, it's big business. You know, if you look at, at who is keeping and how much money they are funneling into the party, which is what they need in order to, to run big campaigns to convince people to keep yeah. building. And it's the same businesses, the same big businesses. And I think one of the biggest ones is Anglo. Mining houses, and they give everybody money, even the EFF. So, I mean, I think it's it's just as important to be aware of where the money that keeps the power structures in place comes from. Well, because we must name we and shame. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Anglo now. I think I'm going to find it. Yeah, Pumi must name and shame these businesses that are supporting political parties, especially the ones who are doing nothing but destructive behaviour and and perpetuating this cycle. So, Ian, um, based on what on what Canton has said and what Pumi said so far, 
What are you guys involved in going forward, and, and where is the biggest need, according to you? Because you're on the ground. You mentioned in your, in your complaint to the police minister, you said, come and walk with me, patrol with me, come and see what these neighborhoods are dealing with. What are, <laughs> what are the issues that are worrying and plaguing the people of uh, Mitchell's Plain, the people of of uh, the of the townships in Cape Town in particular, which you know they they get a really really tough uh, rap uh, these townships in in Cape Town, and obviously the, the the Cape municipality, the Cape Town municipality, the DA run municipality. Also, we're constantly told, oh, they don't care about the townships. What are the main things affecting people in those townships? Yeah, so, so I think there, there, there are a few things. Apart from the infrastructure challenges, uh, one must remember that the growth of those townships, it, it's astounding. The amount of people, the influx of people moving to Cape Town for the hope of having something better is, is, is terrifying. I mean, if you drive to, through the through parts of, I almost want to call it New Kailicha from Mitchell's Plain into mm-hmm. Kailicha, it's shocking to see the amount of new shacks going up. And it's it's constant, hey? It, it does not slow down. Every single time you go, you see more new shacks being being built. So the influx and the pressure on local government is massive, and it's not necessarily an excuse, but it, it is a very, very difficult task at hand. And, and I honestly think it's something that is allowed by, for example, the ANC to, to push people and to put more pressure on local government. And then obviously, uh, before I speak about the actual ground-level challenge, the easiest way for the ANC to try and discredit uh, provincial and local governments in the Western Cape is by not resourcing the police properly because so many people that I speak with are under the impression that the South African police service in the Western Cape is a function of provincial or local government. They don't understand that it's a national government function. Mm. I mean, for years on end, you know, we've seen that parts of the Western Cape are severely understaffed when it comes to policing. I mean, they had something like 5,000 vacant vacancies just a year or two ago. Um, it's massive, massive amount. So the pressure is on. But nevertheless, on ground level, Gareth, it, literally in some areas, it's it's a it's a case of just surviving the day. That's that's how dangerous some parts really are. Um, again, the, the the Taiwan side sea example the other day with the James family actually on our way back we spent about fifteen minutes twenty minutes with them again, and on our way back we drove exactly the same road that what we drove twenty minutes earlier. While we're driving, next moment police pull up next to the sidewalk, bodies lying there. It's half past eleven in the morning, and a guy was shot there point blank. Um, and just lying there. And some of the cops are like chilling in their vehicles and, you know, and, and we get out and I start talking to some of the law enforcement guys and I say to them, hey, you know, why aren't you just helping to cordon off? And they say to me, um, firstly, I don't have a mandate because the South African police service don't support us as local law enforcement. And secondly, I'm tired of having to get out and risk my life every time. Hmm. Um, when I don't get the support from the police that I need. Now, imagine if that is a comment coming from someone that at least is armed, has got, you know, other support, etc. how the community must feel. So I went, just for interest's sake, and I went and stood between the bystanders. Now, obviously, you can imagine six foot two white oak standing on a sidewalk in Kailicha yeah. at a crime scene. You kind of stand out a little. 
But it was amazing when I started speaking to the people. I asked them, hey, you know, what happened? What happened? And some of them, I don't, they tried to speak Afrikaans to me. I guess they made the assumption that they that they should speak Afrikaans to me. And I still didn't understand what they wanted to say. But then they ex- explained to me what had happened. And it was so, like, blasé, nonchalant. Oh, yeah, he was just shot in the head four times. You know, it happens. And what shocked me the most was 50 meters from there, there were kids playing in the street. And then I'm like... How 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 sick have we become that it's normal for kids to play next to a crime scene where someone was shot in the head four times? And the same in, in parts of the Cape Flats. Is is the other day I was at school, and two blocks away the gangs were shooting at each other, and the kids just carried on playing outside. And I'm standing there with my coffee, like like oh my word, what what's going on here? And everyone keeps on playing. So so that's the. That's that's the challenge, and 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 that's not something that we can fix overnight. It's a really <laughs> and I, I think it's important to also understand that it is a countrywide experience, right? So it's, it's absolutely it's not just the the SAPS is overwhelmed, and there are there are not enough police officers. There are not there's not enough visible policing, and it's like that all over the country. In the last hour, Gareth, we were talking about the fact that now we're we're getting a surge of kind of the reporting on mm. shootings in taverns over the weekend. We saw in K, they spoke about it in KZN. They were reporting about it in Soweto. The violence is endemic, and it's mm-hmm. we live in an extremely violent. Society society and throughout the country the police yeah. are completely overrun and the entire system it's so you know the police are one part of a system right. the other side of the system is is the justice system and it's the court system and it's getting people convicted and they're getting people into jail and keeping them in jail and the entire value chain in that system seems mm. to be broken and, and sorry, I, I, I want to add on to this because this is the part that I feel so like passionately about is is exactly what you just explained. The reality at some of these police stations, you get there and you speak to some of the detectives and they really are good people. They are amazing people that do so much with little or no support. And you speak to some of these guys and, 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 and some of the women, you must, I mean, it's this little, little lady, okay, fighting crime in one of the most dangerous places in the country. She's fearless. She tells me she hasn't had leave for three years, okay? And then I ask, how many dockets do you have on your table? And she says 350. How on earth can you investigate 350 cases? physically impossible, okay? Then you go to the same station, and they don't have toilet seats to sit on. So the morale in the police Mm -hmm. is broken. And this is the thing, and and a very short sentence, is is then that's when I get get bleak with people like Minister Bekitele when he shows up at a meeting with tactical response team members, heavily armed. There's a, a, a brand new uh, public order policing armored vehicle standing outside. They mark out 18, 18 parking spaces for him, okay? Um, and he gets there with six vehicles protecting him, whilst in the exact exact kilometer radius there was two hijackings whilst he was making his speech and they could have used those very cops to be to be fighting that so 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 there's this there's this 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 major issue not only with the um with the shortage of resources but also specialized resources remember in the next two years we're going to lose about twenty four thousand cops that are going on pension and that's excluding the ones that are that are uh, taking you know leaving early um, or resigning. So that's just the pension one. So we're going to have a serious problem. 
All right, so let's talk. Yeah, I have a question. <clears throat> yes, go ahead. What does an entry-level police officer earn these days? An entry-level police officer, um, it depends on the on the on the scale, but you can go on, on probably maximum scale for a constable. I think is around thirteen thousand rand last time I checked per month, and that's another thing. I mean, then you go in, in gang-ridden areas. Let's say, for example, last night someone two I think two people were shot dead in Alexandra last night in Joburg. Um, uh, I was just scrolling through reports this morning, so let's use that, that as an example. Um, and now you've got, say, for example, it's a gang shooting, and that the cop investigating that is a constable detective, fresh out of college, um, still young, easily intimidated, possibly, and the gang comes to him or her and, and they say, hey, um, you know, turn a, t- turn a blind eye to this, we'll pay you 2,000 rand a month. And um, it's not necessarily because the cop is criminal, um, but the absolute fear they live in opens up opportunities to rather do something else. And many of them can get more money in the private sector, so then they leave the police. Sure. Mm. Any of that surprising? I just want to make one final point, Gareth. Gareth, before we, uh, we move on, I just want to make a point with regard to the Mitchell's plane, which we were talking about right now. Yeah. I, I lived in Cape Town for uh, for seven years, from the late nineties to the early two thousands, and you know Mitchell's plane has been pretty much part of my life since the nineteen eighties because it was a, a scene of activism. And, you know, and as unionists, we'd end up trekking across the country. Inevitably, we'd end up in places like Mitchell's plane. Yeah. And if you go to Mitchell's plane today and compare it to the Mitchell's plane that existed twenty years ago. There's a sea change that has actually taken place in that township. The the streets are significantly cleaner. Um, you you can drive through um, uh, without worrying about potholes. There are actual pavements that are clean. There are shopping centres and all of that. And if you go right next door, you know, on uh, on the various sides of uh, of Mitchell's Plain. Mitchell's Plain is basically, you know, it's got Kailicha on one side. It's it's got uh, crossroads and Nyanga on the other side. It's got Philippi on the other side. And Mitchell's Plain kind of stands out. And the reason why Mitchell's Plain actually stands out is because it's a DA-run municipality. Unlike um, those other three where they continue voting for ANC. And, uh, you know, much as the current leadership of the, of the DA pisses me off, the single significant thing right now that we can actually point out to people in those surrounding communities is that you know, you should actually be changing your voting habits because you just need to take a look, you know, do a comparison between what it looks like in uh, uh, in Mitchell's plane. And uh, and meanwhile, you've got shacks right here. And the DA uh, government in the city actually can't go into those townships and fix it because of the fact that the uh, ANC cadres out there just, you know, drive people out at gunpoint. So... Yeah. I know that a lot of us uh, have this extreme sense of irritation um, with the DA, particularly since, you know, Stienhaisen really is a complete doer, and he, you know, <laughs> and he talks about stuff that he really shouldn't be talking about, like Ukraine, because he's frankly too young to understand the historical context. But on the other hand, you know, you have people like Papas out in Ngeni who are actually cleaning up neighborhoods, and that's going to set an example uh, to the surrounding neighborhoods. You've got Gaten McKenzie doing the stuff that he's doing yep, as in well. The, in the Karoo. And right. in, instead of actually pouncing up upon these people, we, we should actually be pointing out to people in the surrounding communities, well, that's a simple thing that you can be doing. 
So let's just um, <clears throat> cast our eye further afield because, Canton, I, I would be remiss to not allow you to speak on international matters, and there are so many to talk about at the moment. I mean, we can focus in on the, the ongoing deterioration of politics in the United States, but I don't know that that's so interesting. I think maybe uh, an update on, on the Ukraine and Russia situation, which we haven't referred to in some time. Is there anything going on there that's particularly noteworthy? Do you see any end in sight? This is something I spoke to Dr. Alan Mendoza of the Henry Jackson Society about, and you'll hear that at 8 o'clock this morning. But how, how do we get out of this? How do we go back to a status quo ante where the Ukraine can produce the wheat and the sunflower oil and where we can get... Uh, Russian fuel flowing through the world again without all these stupid sanctions. How do we get past the situation which it seems um, Russia and Ukraine primarily and Vladimir Putin um, more specifically, but also the rest of the Western world has got us into? How do we get back out? Well, actually, there's no way that we can get out. And the reason why there's no way we can't get out is because, you know, the definition of insanity is is you keep doing the same thing and you expect a different result. Mm -hmm. And Every time um, the West tries to initiate a particular position um, uh, around Putin, it actually strengthens his position. And yet they keep doubling down. So what? Uh, so everything, um, uh, their response is, we need to give Ukraine more weapons and uh, we need to issue more sanctions. And giving Ukraine more weapons, firstly, the people who are ending up paying for it are the taxpayers in Europe and, uh, and primarily the U.S., and uh, every time you issue more sanctions uh, against Putin, all he does is he drives up the price of the goods that he's currently providing primarily to the European Union. Mm -hmm. So he's made more money from the European Union in terms of oil and gas revenue since the beginning of the year than he made in all of last year put together. So you actually, mm -hmm. but you keep doubling down and saying <clears throat> we need more sanctions, but it's a commodity where if you remove major suppliers, it impacts on the global price. Ditto in the case of, uh, of wheat. Mm -hmm. Now, what's been happening there is that there isn't a shortage of wheat. What we have is U.S. sanctions that prevent primarily African countries and nearly everyone from the Horn of Africa down to Rwanda import their wheat uh, from Russia. And the reason why the African Union leaders have been meeting with Putin is to say, listen, we have a problem that we want to continue buying your wheat except we have no way of paying you for it. And, and so what we have is de-dollarization uh, taking place. And the, as you get a reduction in terms of the value of, uh, uh, of the dollar, again, people around the world start doubling down and say, no, we must flee to the dollar as a safe sanctuary. Yeah. Remember that the Biden administration has printed more money during its time than had ever been printed in the history of the United States before. So you've devalued the, the, the currency. You keep pushing uh, down in terms of trying to break the back of, uh, of Russia and of China now because they are now turning their focus to China as well. And they don't actually understand that this particular empire, and remember most empires generally last about 200 years or, or so. And what we are seeing is the dying days of the American empire. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say this with uh, 
a great deal of reluctance because I love the American Empire. Yes, can't they say it? I'm yes. so glad you're saying it because we were on this very show when I said that to you. Yes, no, no absolutely. And uh, <laughs> uh, and I must tell you, just simply what I've lost in the U.S. stock market since the beginning oh, of this year is, is seriously hurting me. But I recognize inevitability. But you are not going to get I'm... by recognizing it. So you don't what, have to what, pay so me two hundred thousand rands, Canton. You don't have to pay me two hundred thousand rands, Canton, like certain ministers are asking. But you do have to say yes, Pooby, you were right. <laughs> Pooby, we never disagreed on this. <laughs> but, uh, but Jared, to get to you, the uh, uh, the question of where does this actually end? Mm-hmm. If we have a sea change that happens in October when the Americans have their their midterm elections, and if you have all of these Trump-backed candidates that actually end up winning, yeah. you are going to have a situation where Joe Biden ends up getting impeached. I think that uh, um, if there is an overwhelming majority that pops up in the House and the Senate, if Joe Biden ends up getting impeached, then you're going to actually force a situation where there's a reversal of this ridiculous policy where you keep flowing more arms into Ukraine. And those arms end up getting sold on the black market. Well, I mean, you you could impeach you could impeach yeah. Joe Biden, but the only one who wouldn't know that it was happening was Joe Biden. I mean, he's he's completely uh, senile and demented, and you know, <laughs> doesn't know whether he's a teapot or a hockey stick at the moment, does he? You know, Kenton, you speak about being able. You speak about all those arms getting into the black market. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fascinating to see that the West can send arms and money into the Ukraine, but are unwilling to send anything out. Well, it's not that they're unwilling to send anything out. You look at most of the ways in which things can actually end up leaving the Ukraine um, have been taken out because they're also the way in which things have been uh, have been brought in. Now, remember that the, uh, the European countries and the U.S. have been shipping arms into the Ukraine. And essentially, every time there's a particular pathway for these arms to enter the Ukraine. The Russians just simply send an aircraft and take it out. Yeah. And they recently took out the Carpathian Tunnel, which is <clears throat> was the last kind of serious rail link that was able to bring things uh, into the Ukraine. And now they've basically agreed with Turkey that Ukraine is allowed to move stuff out through the port of Odessa and send it out through the Black Sea so that... Ukrainian wheat can flow to the rest of the world. But the Ukrainians have a problem because they mined the waters around the port of Odessa and they don't know how to demine it. And the reason why they mined it is because <laughs> of the fact that the Americans and the, uh, the American handlers and the British handlers told them this is the thing you're supposed to do. All right. Uh, while while we've got Ian, because I mean, as much as we, you know, people like us to to cover a range of issues on the burning platform, and I, I do think we've given a little bit of attention, not nearly as much as we perhaps could, to the international scene. Ian, back here in South Africa, uh, the political parties, from your point of view, um, you know, Canton mentioned earlier that that certain wards and certain municipalities run better than others, and it depends on who you vote. Have you been receiving calls from anybody to to stand for office? Because I know that you don't, um, you're not actually a politician, and you're trying to get involved with the community at that level. But are there people who are trying to recruit you? So um, I did re- receive calls from different parties saying that they they support me. Um, in fact, four, five, or five parties. 
saying that they support me and would like to meet and, and so on and so forth. But my answer is quite simple, Gareth, is, is that I, um, I, will, I will meet with anyone and, um, and I will even take part in, in, uh, in, in, in doing anti-crime type of uh, you know, campaigns and so on with them. But, but as long as it's not a lip service campaign, as long as it's something that actually does, you know, as long as it's a, some kind of a solution being implemented, um, I think it, it, it goes back to the, the cancel culture thing is that, you know, you don't have to agree with everyone on, on all of their politics, mm-hmm. but there's certain ground level issues that we can agree on. So if someone comes to me uh, saying, you know, he's an old, let's say, a, a group of MK vets that yeah. want to go and, I don't know, have a soup kitchen or something. It, it's a silly example. I'm just sucking it out of my thumb. But the point is that then, yes, I might not always agree with their politics, or whether I do or not. Um, it, it's it's a it's a positive thing that, that they're doing. So, well, you, you, yeah, no, were, no, no real recruitment, reason, but lots of discussion. The reason I ask is because there were a lot of people saying, oh, you need to run for president. And, you know, this happens every time anyone stands up and is counted and shows a bit of leadership um, in this country. And I, and I by no means want to diminish the, the role that you already have or the fact that you managed to do what so few people in this country can do, and that is stand up to powerful politicians in a in a way that really upsets and riles them. And it's it's worth maybe discussing why Becky Trele was so rattled by all of this. But it is amazing to me how South Africans are so desperate to be led at the moment that they're screaming at you to become president. You know, uh, it must be quite scary, but I think that scary the, you, for you. You know, one of the things that's, that's important to recognize and I think South Africans, we, we, we love heroes so much that we, we think that there is a hero coming to, to save us all. But actually, there, there are lots of different places in which to be effective. I mean, there are thinkers, there are doers, Absolutely. and there are activists, and, and then there are politicians. And really, we need people in all those spheres. We need people that are willing to be on the ground and doing the work. We need people who want to be in positions of leadership. It's kind of like managers mm-hmm. and workers in the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Is you, you need you need all of them. And when people are good at one thing, it does not necessarily mean that they would be good at the other thing. And they've and people have got to be in the places where they are good. And I think Ian is probably great on the ground you know working with people getting finding the finding the the stabbers in the eastern cape and bringing them to book but but i think it is just as important to recognize that the this that the space of of leadership and the kind of leadership that we're looking for is also around kind of a vision for South Africa. One of the things that we don't have happening for us right now is we don't really know where we're going. There's no one driving because no, we don't me, know where we're me, going. I, I think we have a better sense of where we're going than we ever did before. Where and, are we going? In, in fact, what, what Ian is now actually doing is, again, it's something that we've spoken about in the show before. It's uh, you know, how do you eat an elephant? And it's, it's one mouthful at a time. Mm. And when you have people who are setting up specialized units, kind of the way in which Ian has done, we know Imtia Suleiman as the example in terms of the gift of, the givers. gift of the givers, where, you know, identify a particular niche and does it very well. Ian's doing that. Uh, Afri Forum is doing that in particular spaces. You have organizations like Outer that are doing that in particular spaces. You have organizations like the Helen Sussman Foundation, which do things in mm-hmm. uh, in particular spaces, and and yeah. the more and the more of these organisations that 
we end up with that start tackling particular pieces of the problem. That's how you actually end up chipping away at this edifice. It's, it's not going to be um, a one-size-fits-all where you try and get in a government that's going to fix it. Look, we know that the ANC is going to drop below 50% in the next election, but it's going to be far more chaotic at that point because pulling a coalition government together at that point that's going to be able to topple the ANC and to effectively manage the country, no, it's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. But really what all we can hope for is that we have a dysfunctional central government where they're not able to do anything, pass any legislation, and that then allows local government to actually become the real centers of power around the country. And that's how we'll actually start fixing the country slowly. But I, I think we're on mm-hmm. track to do that. This is probably the best time that we've uh, we've had in the country now uh, since uh, mm-hmm. Jacob Zuma was elected to office. And look, we're not going to have a choice but to make sure that, that communities do certain things themselves. Eh? It, it, that's how bad it's going to get, in my opinion. And um, I say that it's going to get bad, but it, it, it gives us an opportunity to, to be accountable for our own surroundings. Um, and I, I don't say that just easily because it's going to be a hell of a hard work. Like it's, a, it, right. it's going to be a big task and we need to know there are big challenges ahead. But what I am saying is that maybe maybe that that is going to be a time for us to kind of use a more decentralized model where where people work together on ground level. Something I must just say is that um, in terms of, of policing, um, I want to go as far as to say that, that any part of that ministry or secretariat must be completely apolitical because – Politics has literally destroyed the South African police service. It has, it has, it's literally become an iron fist for the ANC. It's as simple as that. And, uh, and, and it's an embarrassment to people on ground level. I'm talking about cops on ground level. So that one part, I think, if, if there's something we can do, is uh, it's, that's going to be something where coalition government or not, we're going to have to have a serious, serious talk about how to change the, the current police situation. Well, I'm very glad that you were able to make time for us today. I know you've been very much in demand the last couple of days, Ian. Please keep up the good work that you're doing. <clears throat> and come and uh, fill us in when there's something else going on. We are all ears, and I think we, um, we, we want to know what's actually happening on the ground. We don't just want to have the analysts and the journalists and the people who are kind of observing these things. We want to know from the people who are actually involved in them. You know, they, it's always that example of the of the chicken and the pig, and who's involved in breakfast and who's really um, what's the what's the word that they use? Uh, committed. Committed. That's it. Who's committed? Yeah, <laughs> the chickens involved, the pigs committed. Um, but thank you very much for your work, and uh, thanks for being part of the show this morning. Thank you very much. It was an awesome discussion. It was such a uh, enlightening discussion, and it was a discussion where I wasn't told to keep quiet once. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, sure, uh, for, shut up, for Ian. What are you talking about? All right, thanks so much. <laughs> Ian Cameron. Your mic is off. <laughs> Ian Cameron off to uh, Mitchell's plane now. And Canton, always good to catch up with you. Thanks for making some time for us this morning. Um, what, what's uh, what's news in your life besides the fact that you've shaved your hair? We got a, a parting shot from you before you disappear for a few weeks. Well, I'm heading down to Durban uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. because I'm speaking at the Tamil Business Warriors Conference at Tobaya Casino on uh, on Saturday. All right. Yes. Uh, yeah, my my tribe has finally roped me into <laughs> uh, to do some 
community-based work. So, uh, so I'll be doing that. And, uh, and, and I must tell you that my project up in Zimbabwe has been going brilliantly and, uh, and I've been having lots of fun with it. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. More success to you. And as you said, there are reasons to be optimistic about all of this. The, the failure around you means uh, that you can take more of that power and that, uh, and that, that independence on for yourself. It's a reason to smile. Pums, we will see you next week. Very good. Thanks, join everybody. Join the CPF, people. Join the CPF. Join, join the CPF. That's Pumi's parting shot for this morning. All right. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.